Hey, this is Josh's friend Guy Miley Corain, and you're listening to Season 1 of My Old Hands. Welcome back, everybody. Now, this is one I'm super excited about. I actually thought this interview or conversation may never happen, so I'm really stoked. And my guest today is the co-creator and host of one of my favourite, I guess, non-scripted television shows of all time. That's Departures. He's also gone on to make Descending, which was a beautiful travel show, and most recently Into the Rising Sun, which I think I might have watched four or five times now. It's about Japan and it's just really beautiful. His day-to-day work is in the creative field, so that's super interesting to have someone on that does it in the trenches every day of their life. And he's also a Canadian. And for people that know me, they know that gives him at least two extra legend points in my book. So welcome to my old hand, Scott Wilson. Thanks very much for having me. (laughs) So let's just start with Japan. And I'll preface this, Scott, by saying the, the way I found you guys is I became obsessed with St. John's in Newfoundland and I started searching Canadian travel programs for St. John's, couldn't find much and I stumbled across Departures, which was on YouTube at the time. I'm like, oh, they've got an episode called Canada Coast to Coast. I'm going to watch that. It might be in there. If not, it'll have New Brunswick in that area and I thought, oh, this is going to be great and that's how I discovered your show. And ever since right. then, I've just had this romanticism about Atlantic Canada, from the authors to the musicians to everything about it just occupies my mind from all the way down here in Australia. And I get the feeling that maybe, although I haven't been there yet, it's a bucket list for me, that Japan has kind of been the same for you throughout your life. Yeah, I mean, early on, um, the, the first few visits were were because of work. I mean, <laughs> and, and our kind of work is is because of our decision, um, you know, to do an episode in in Japan for for departures. And then it just becomes a place that you end up traveling through, you know, transiting through often, you know, when you're going to from North America to uh, Oceania, South Pacific, other parts of Asia. And, you know, anytime I did, I would just say, okay, well, it's it's worth a 24 or 48 hour layover just to spend a couple of days in in Tokyo and and had friends that I made there. And so there was always just more and more and more excuses to to go back or to spend more time there. But it, it certainly very early on captured uh, captured my heart. Uh, I mean, the the culture, the history, the the people, this this bizarre uh, kind of almost futuristic world or, or the way we might have envisioned the future back in the 80s or something like that. Yeah. Um, there, there's yeah. really just such an amazing culture and then all of these subcultures to it as well. It's, um, yeah, it's really quite a quite a, a stunning place that's always drawn me back. So I've heard you talk about Japan a lot in that way. Is there any other countries out there, wh- whether it's for the TV shows, the travel programs, or just in your own travel that maybe you've found that same kind of, I, I don't want to use the word romanticism, but that's how it kind of comes across. And that's how I feel about Atlantic Canada. Is there anywhere else in the world that maybe does that for you now, as opposed to Japan? Well, oddly enough, uh, or and or ironically enough, um, not a country per se, but Atlantic Canada has always drawn <laughs> me in since we're on that topic. Um, with a, a lot of times with Canadians, you sort of 
you're especially for those of us who are in the center are, are drawn to to one coast or the other and you have a lot of people who are are very west coast centric you know they want the the, the mountains vancouver whistler lifestyle and uh, jasper banff that sort of thing and of course they're they're stunning parts of the country uh for me i've always been enamored with with the east coast with the maritimes and and uh, and further on like with with newfoundland and labrador uh, and of course, I thought that's where you might be going. <laughs> might be going with uh, with the opening was finding departures because you were looking for something on on St. John's and oh, Newfoundland. I was, and yeah, originally, of, yeah, <laughs> all in and kind of uh, good ribbing. Uh, we, we've taken a lot of flack from from Newfoundlanders and Labradorians uh, because we did the show that was called Coast to Coast, yeah. and of course, then uh, we left them out. Uh, and of all the people, here's the thing, of all Canadians to, to leave out, they're the ones that will just sort of take it with a grain of salt, of course, too, because they're kind of among the, the best and most forgiving and, and lovely of all Canadians. So, Hey, Legends, super quick. If you're wondering where you can find any of the things that are mentioned in today's episode, head on over to myoldhands.com and you'll find it all there. Okay, let's jump back into the conversation. Of all Canadians to to leave out, they're the ones that will just sort of take it with a grain of salt, of course, too, because they're kind of among the the best and most forgiving and and lovely of of all Canadians. So uh, that's good. I think I heard that a very famous author and musician from there, Alan Doyle, from the band Great Big C. I think he said they're almost closer to Dublin in Ireland than they are to a lot of the capitals in Canada. So it kind of makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny, you know, flying into St. John's for the very first time many years ago, it it was like a script written, you know. I mean, you come out of the fog and and land on the rock, which they they call it, and it really does feel like you've gone three quarters of the way to to Ireland at that point. Um, You know, the the accent, the the land, the ruggedness, everything about it just feels like, you know, you're you're nine-tenths of the way to to the other side of the Atlantic at that point. Yeah, well, I could could stay on St. John's and that area all day and their culture, so we won't do that. So departures itself, and I'm, I love part of your vibe, Scott, is that you, you're you not like a musician that doesn't want to talk about their early work, like the big rock stars that only want to talk about what they're doing now. You seem very proud and happy to talk about that time. Sure. Departures, for anyone who's not familiar, it's a travel show, and I'll let maybe Scott tell us what he sees the show as, but it was unlike any show at the time and probably kind of still is. And I'm going to dive in the deep end from a creative point of view here, Scott. Did you have any idea you were creating something that would touch people so much at the time but continue to? And why do you think that is? What's so magic about – or magical, sorry, about departures? I think it's it's taken 10-plus years for us to uh, – and I say us, like Andre and, and myself, the, the co-creator and, and my business partner for 20-plus years. It's taken us 10-plus years to kind of wrap our head around the answer to that. The short answer, no, we had no idea that it was going to make the kind of impact or have a, a global connection the way it did. You know, we, we had our inspirations early on of, of, you know, what we thought a travel show could be or should be. We were working on a, a Canadian travel show at the time as, uh, you know, young guys and, and fresh out of film school and loved the idea of travel, and loved the idea of being able to show that off to the world. But we felt that there was a 
a better, you know, kind of more uh, cinema verite way of of doing that and showing that off, and being true to the travel experience that that anyone who's who's gone anywhere uh, with a backpack on their back knows and has experienced. Hmm. And and so we set out to do that, but we had a lot of doubts along the way. That's for sure. <laughs> so you mentioned in there that you wanted to create something that felt more real. And I'm assuming by that you mean more real to people that do travel regularly. It wasn't a show where it was yeah. just the best food and the best views and the best new tourist attraction. It was kind of how do the people that live here live and you're going to ingratiate yourself with them. Exactly. A big part of of us deciding on which which countries to visit, which locales to, to go to and to explore uh, was based on decision-making conversations that myself, Andre, and, and the, the co-host, Justin, at the time, um, would have. You know, we would kind of each sit around a table very organically and say, well, where do you want to go? Where would you like to visit? <laughs> and we would each sort of give ourselves a, a kind of a, a veto card that we could use, you know, against the other one if we needed to, but you only had one. Yeah. And, uh, and oftentimes, yeah. there were, you know, a number of of locations that we all shared, you know, we would bring something up and somebody would say, oh yeah, I've always wanted to see that too. And so have I, well, that, that was an easy one to make the list. And then as you work your way down the list, all of a sudden, you know, it's one against the other two and you have to sort of pitch them and, and be creative of, of how you're going to sell them on that idea. But, but the, the common ground for all of us in all of these places was that if we had a real if we had a really good uh, preconception of, of what that country was, what it was going to look like and be like, then that very quickly allowed us to, to kind of strike it from, from the option. So quite notably, we didn't really do much of, of any of Europe, for instance. And it's not because I don't love Europe tremendously uh, to visit personally and for business and everything and that there isn't amazing things and it's worthy of, of a visit. But from a TV standpoint, a lot of us already have that preconception a pretty good preconception of what paris is going to look like because it's been so done been so seen we've read about it we've seen it a million times in a million films so it was more about well what the heck does madagascar actually look like you know yeah. like what what is the image it doesn't really conjure anything for, for someone so let's go see what that looks like you know and, and go explore and that was that was kind of a big part of the the starting ground for for uh, for deciding those those places it's fascinating that you brought up Madagascar because that's probably a top five episode for me. And I had pictures in my mind that were created from pop culture, really, about Madagascar. And I've never seen landscapes like that in my imagination or in real life anywhere else. I, didn't e I couldn't even conceptualize that parts of the world would look like what Madagascar, yeah. for example, looks like until I saw the episode of your show. It looked right. like you were in an alien world at times, but it was a beautiful alien world. And when you first started heading out, obviously you did Canada first. So that was more, I guess, as an Australian, a lot of people would call that like a rite of passage when you're traveling because it's yes. a big part of our culture as much as maybe other countries. It's really ingrained in a lot of young people here to go out and see something. When you made that first transition from seeing Canada, and, and I think the first country you went to might have been Jordan, potentially. Mm -hmm. How did everyone feel? Because I don't think Justin had traveled outside of North America at that point. How was that first, you know, because you're, you're not just traveling, you're creating a thing. <laughs> How did you find that right balance between 
oh, how much of this do we see? How much do we dig in? But we're here to do a job. Like, what were those kind of conversations about when you first left Canada? Well, I mean, I, I've I've mentioned this before um, that you know, very very early on, there was a very serious conversation that Andre <laughs> and I sat down to have, uh, saying, you know, who the hell is going to watch the show? Um, and, and that was a very real conversation, because and and that's a huge part of the self doubt that we've always had, and and the kind of perfectionist attitude that we have towards our own art. And most artists have that towards their own art. You know, there's always that self doubt. And, and, and perfectionism, you know, to try to put when you're birthing this idea to the world, uh, you want it to just be perfect. And you're always kind of questioning whether it's perfect enough. But but yeah, we, we had those conversations very early on of, you know, what are we doing and, and how are people really going to take to this? And at the time, before anyone had actually seen any of the first season or first episodes, of course, it was a bit of a leap of faith and, and trying to support each other the way friends do and say, no, you know, right now I need you to believe in me and vice versa until you kind of stumbled through the first season. And then when we started to get feedback from from the network, the commissioning network here in Canada first, and then as it started to get uh, viewed abroad, uh, the feedback from a fan base it started to snowball and grow. And it really seemed to to resonate with people. And, and I think it was... It was the authenticity that came across in in what we were doing. The fact that there was nothing special about any of us doing this. It was just that we were like anyone else, eager to go out, see the world, uh, completely wet behind the ears and and green, and uh, and wanted to see it, wanted to do it. And uh, the only difference is is that for comparatively to most people, we just found a way to do it, to push ourselves to actually go make it happen. And I think that just rings true with a lot of people. Uh, and whether you are a Scott person or a Justin person <laughs> or, or or whatever, or, or both or neither, hopefully sooner or later, one or both of us endeared ourselves to you because you saw something in one of us or both of us that that connected, whether it was, hey, that guy reminds me of a guy I went to school with, or or they remind me of my brother, or or whatever it might be. But it was that that authenticity, you know. We we've got so much media available to us that can be consumed and that is consumed constantly that I really think that the majority of, of film and television isn't giving the viewer enough credit, mm. um, especially when they're trying to make what they might deem as reality TV. Um, most people have a really good bullshit meter because we, we consume so much uh, media that I think people are really savvy to it and they can pick up on, on things that are authentic versus ones that really truly aren't. And it doesn't take somebody who has had an eye for film for a decade to understand that or see that. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. I think one moment, and we'll move on from departures. I don't want this to be the departures fest, but there was one moment in the first season where a lot of what you're talking about came into alignment and it was during the Ascension Island episode. And up until that episode, I felt like there was a little bit of a bit of tension between yourself and maybe Justin as to how each person was going to be on screen. Because I think it became more evident as the series went on that he had 
he was split in two minds. He wanted to be in the present, but he had a lot of personal stuff happening that was back home. And when you guys several times in the Ascension Island episode couldn't get the things that you really needed to exist there day to day, whether it was money out of the ATM or going to buy food and the hours were all crazy at the supermarket, just weird, strange hours. And it seemed like you guys really came together. And that might have been, A, just how it was presented, but it really felt real that, oh, these guys are finally on the same page here. Not that you weren't, but it seemed like you came into alignment. I thought, they're really in this. And that's something that happens when you travel. No, I haven't done that much traveling, but I remember being in Thailand and for some reason, one of the two cards that I took over there just would not work anywhere. I'm like, oh, this is great. Well, I hope the other one does, otherwise I'm screwed. <laughs> so, seeing those kinds of things speaks to that authenticity. And I think that's a word maybe, Scott, that gets used a lot these days to describe a lot of things. And I think that maybe there's a confusion over authenticity and transparency. Just sharing all of your dark, deepest, darkest secrets might not always be authentic. <laughs> It might just be transparent, but you guys truly were because no other travel show was showing people getting altitude sickness, but still being on camera. And there wasn't anyone else running out of money. Not that you ran out of money. I mean, you couldn't access money to do stuff like buy food. When you're doing that, though, you didn't know whether that would touch people at all. We didn't, um, and and we hoped it would, but we (laughs) didn't realized what we were doing was that different or, or that engaging for for people to until like i say it was after we started to really get the feedback and and that seemed to be what what uh what people really appreciated about it and you're right i mean ascension is is a perfect example of where the struggle was real uh, for for all of us and i mean in in small bits but that was that was the travel struggle the fact that we were both you know, more or less in a modern day marooned on a deserted island on a place that was <laughs> yeah. might as well have been the moon. Yeah. And and you kind of get by. And I, I knew that Justin was going through relationship issues and and uh, and that was very real. And uh, and that's why from from the get go, uh, when we were pitching this show idea, we knew that the, the people on camera, because originally I wasn't even supposed to be on camera and neither was Justin. Justin wasn't even in the picture when we pitched this this idea to a network years ago. Uh, I was just a placeholder, and or so I thought. And then the network saw it and they said, no, we want you. That's great. And then we had to find someone else to pair with me. Mm. And we said, well, that person has to be, I mean, again, talking about the authenticity, I'm not just going to cast somebody to travel with me that the network likes. It has to be a real friendship because what we're going to go through is going to be real yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and so you know we had to we had to find a a legitimate friend of mine somebody that i had gone to high school with that i had a relationship with with a past you know and uh and you know some some real meat and potatoes to to a friendship that was going to continue forward so and i really encourage anyone that hasn't seen departures to go and watch it because you guys had a friendship and but it kind of it felt to me like it developed into a more mature friendship as the show went on like you sort of clearly still friends and but it became different and maybe uh, more respectful and appreciative of each other so that part of the show that's a through line that i think adds to why it's so rewatchable is you're watching two guys reconnect and become even better friends in real time like you don't always well you never get that (laughs) so let's talk about descending and also into the rising sun the shows that you've made in post departures and it's just crazy to think that you weren't going to be the host that just boggles my mind i can't 
picture any of these shows where you're not. And for anyone that's seen them, I'm sure they're feeling the same. When, you, <laughs> For example, with Descending, which is a beautiful show for anyone out there. I'll, Scott will probably talk about what it is. But was there extra pressure given how popular and how rabid like that audience was from Departures to then go and make another show? Like, did you feel extra pressure because of the success of Departures? Uh, He's nodding not, his head to right be honest, now, guys. So. Really? <laughs> not really? No. <laughs> <laughs> not, to be honest, not really. Um, uh, no, I, I remember we, the network that uh, here in Canada that had originally commissioned Departures had kind of had this game going with us because way, way back in the first season, they started to see the first few cuts and we knew we were on the right track because the network came back to us even after the first few rough cuts they received. And they said, we love it. We were going to already commission two more seasons from you. Huh. And we were young and green and, uh, and newbie to, to creating our own TV shows. And we just thought that was an awful lot of, we're, we're under enough pressure to deliver on one season, let alone on multiple seasons. So we said, no, no, let's finish out the season. Then let's talk about the next season. So then when that finished, we signed a second season. They offered us two more. We said, no, we finished with that season. We did a third. And when that was done, we felt like we just we needed to go out on a high. We wanted to to not kind of, um, you know, again, this was our baby. We didn't want to kind of suffocate this thing and this this idea and a project we were doing. We would rather burn up than fade away sort of thing. So we were ready to move on to other projects. And uh, the network said, well, you know, we want to offer you more. We said, no, we're done. They said, well, whatever you have as an idea next, let us know. And we said, OK, well, you know, we've got this idea for like an underwater dive travel show. And they were like, uh, anything but that. <laughs> so we had to we had to go out. We had to shoot uh, a demo for, for what this idea was. And we showed it to them and instantly they kind of they had the aha moment. They got it and they said, oh, yeah, this is beautiful. Let's let's do this. But so it was more trying to convince, I think, the network than it was to convince ourselves or feeling pressure on ourselves to do it. I mean, it's not to say that there wasn't any, um, but we were just holding ourselves to a, the same high standard we were with all three previous seasons of, of Departures, is that for Andre, as the cinematographer, he was like, how am I going to raise the bar? How am I going to do better versus myself? Uh, and and same for me being in front of the camera. How are we going to do better? And uh, And that was kind of the bigger thing. So, well, Andre certainly did raise the bar with Descending, which is a strange sentence to say, but the <laughs> the network obviously believed in you guys, and I'm sensing that when you went into Descending that you had, if anything, departures, maybe didn't give you legacy pressure, maybe more so it gave you creative confidence. You had confidence in this is the idea. It might sound like it's not, but this is it. And, and to be honest, it might have given us a little bit too much confidence, you know, um, where where we thought, oh, yeah, we can pull this off an underwater show. No problem. Give us a camera. Let's go. You know, especially as relatively new divers, we were <laughs> I know this sounds like a pun. There'll probably be lots of them, but we really were in over our heads, um, uh, you know when we started to realize what it took to film underwater and again to the level that we wanted to because we said well the underwater uh the underwater content that we had been seeing online was one of two levels it was either uh, it it just the dive segments just became kind of music montages because you talk about it and maybe there's a voiceover and music and that's it because you really it's really 
expensive and or difficult to communicate underwater, especially mm. to camera. The other level is the blue chip documentary, like a BBC Oceans or something like that. And and that's a different story and a different beast altogether. And that wasn't what we were going for. So to try to find this happy medium for us to, to be able, we said, okay, well, we want to be able to communicate with the audience. We don't want to cut that off. There's something, again, about that authenticity and living in the moment. That uh, if I'm diving and, and something happens to me or whatever it is I'm experiencing, I want to be able to verbalize that and communicate that with the audience to connect. And so all of those things that we said, OK, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And uh, and then when push came to shove and we started to realize what it took to make that happen, uh, it was it was a huge beast on, of, uh, on and of itself. I'm not sure where I heard you say this, Scott, but I recall you mentioned that Andre had to push you just to dive. I and mean, I'm not sure what the context was around that entirely, but you weren't confident even just as a diver and the show was already happening or No, that that was that was before. So when when what would it have been? Maybe the second season, I believe, of Departures mm. and we were in Brazil and we were doing a an episode there and and we were thinking, what are we going to do? We were on Fernando de Noroya, the island, and um, and the opportunity presented itself where we could do some diving there, but none of us were certified divers. But you can do, for anyone who's familiar with diving, you can do a discover scuba dive uh, adventure, so to speak, where essentially somebody does everything for you. You know, a certified dive instructor kind of holds you by the tank stem and pushes you around like you're on a, a Disney ride and uh, yeah. and does everything for you, make sure you're not going to drown or die under there, and, and off you go. And the idea of diving, it intrigued me, but it terrified me at the same time. There was something about it that I still can't put my finger on that originally I thought, no, this is this is mightier and bigger and better than me, and I'll just it's something I'll never be able to do. That's something that other people do and I don't. And so I kept trying to get around it and make excuses. Oh, maybe I've got a cold and I probably can't dive and all of this. And Andre really kind of had to push me to say, no, we need this for the show. This is something you're going to have to step up and do. And and I did it and uh, and never regretted it, you know. So that that's how that all came to be. And that was kind of the the earliest catalyst for for what Descending became because that was in and of itself an experience we wanted to be able to continue to share with other people. Somebody like myself that never thought they would get under the water did. And when I did, it was like this veil was lifted and kind of looking around and seeing a whole new planet. And, uh, and I've used the term before, but it was like having a passport to a whole new planet, just being able to dive. And so that's why we wanted to do the show. Wow. That's such a fascinating story. And the only thing I guess I can liken it to was when I first tried stand-up comedy, I felt like a different level of buzz that I'd never experienced in my life. Like I didn't, one open mic, got one laugh, mostly sucked as all new comedians do, but I didn't sleep for a whole night. And I literally felt like an entire new world was opened up to me because wow. I did that that thing. And you did a thing as well where you overcame a fear, whether real or, you know, not real or whatever, however you like to put that. The fear was there and then I did a thing and then it opened up a new world. And yeah. it, it brings up also that you mentioned Andre had to push you a little bit to get those shots and that it was great for the show. One of the reasons I wanted Scott on today, other than the fact that I think he's awesome and I love his TV programs and your Instagram and all those things, is that you're the only person I've had on so far. And I've done multiple hundreds of interviews over the last 10 years in podcasting on different shows. 
I don't think I've ever dealt with someone that has a co-contributor that can use the veto card and can push back against creative ideas. Normally, I'm talking to one person that's making most of the decisions creatively. Can we just talk about those days where someone is pushing you and you maybe don't want to do it? But they've got a, they've got the veto card. They can say, "Hey, snap out of it. We've got to do that." Can we talk about that that kind of interaction with a co-contributor? Uh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean, and and there, I I would like to think that there's a there's a, a lot of moments that that Justin and Andre may say the same uh, about me, where I was able to push them. But but having the three of us the three of us in in departures, and then going forward and and all along. With someone like Andre, um, whom I've been in business with now for 22 years uh, in this industry since we met as friends in in film school, um, and he's continually pushing both of us, and and I hope I'm I'm doing the same for for him as well. But it's it's a um, it's it's necessary. It's necessary in in our industry to continue to push because there's there's always new fresh and and hungry uh people coming and uh and so when you're you're trying to to express and and also from to get work from a business standpoint um you've you've got to be fierce all the time and so sometimes and not everyone can you know no man is an island uh nobody can can kind of be on at a hundred percent all the time um so to have that that other person there, the other voice, whether it's a voice of reason, uh, whether it's it's the push you need, and especially somebody who with whom you have such history, they know they know when you need the push and they know when they don't, you know, they they know when to hold up and, and when not to piss you off or, yeah. Or, yeah. or what it might be. You know, they, they can read you like a book and that's important. Yeah, I think there's a moment in the first season of Departures where you were lamenting that you couldn't couldn't fully engage Justin in one particular thing that was happening in Japan. And I thought it was such a great moment because you guys had a, a friendship, a different type of friendship, obviously, than with Andre. But I don't think you would have gotten away with pushing him maybe the way that you were if you didn't have that pre-existing friendship and obviously some degree of care there. Because, And just to get to see that moment where you're like, oh, it's not really working. And this is kind yeah. of frustrating me. And it's just this tiny moment. And I was recently watching that episode, so it stands out to me. But I'm sure you've been on the other side of that. What are those days like where you feel like maybe, and he might have felt, I'm not going to put words or thoughts in his mind at the time, but where you feel like, oh, this person's really pushing me, but I really wish they'd just bugger off just for the day. <laughs> just leave me alone for a little bit. What are those days like? Because I'm sure they happen because you guys are traveling and creating simultaneously yeah i mean i think when when those days happen for me when you know you just want a day off and okay so as a backstory uh, to kind of paint the picture uh, with this being um you know a canadian production all of these being canadian productions at the root no one's getting uh rich off of these things no one's a, a a millionaire off of this we do it because ultimately we love what we do um you know these aren't you know, multi-million dollar uh, Netflix originals and, and uh, you know, we go back to our trailer and, and all of that sort of stuff. This is, uh, you know, we're out there doing it on a budget that just barely allows us to do it. And we wouldn't have it any other way because there's there's so much, so much of 
what that did that gave us what the results were as well. And so where I'm going with this is the fact that when you're out there, like it or not, you know that you don't just have the ability, the budget, whether it be a budget of time or a budget of money to, to take the day off. It's, you know, we're out here to do a job and, uh, and we're all invested in this project because we're not doing it for someone else. This is our baby in the end. So it's, it's sort of like, whether I say it to myself and shake myself out of it or somebody else does, um, you know, I can be thinking in the back of my head, geez, I wish they would just slag off and, and let me be for the day. But I know deep down inside, they're right. I've, I've got to show up every day. So, Yeah. And that's something I'm just thinking that maybe you've learned over time too is I may as well just get over it now and just keep working because that's what has to happen anyway. So- Oh, I do have some questions that I got inboxed by some friends. Some were familiar sure. with the show and some weren't. We, hopefully, we'll have time to get to those. But one that stands out now, and I'm, I think it's the perfect time to ask, is I received a Twitter inbox from a friend that wanted to know, when you're traveling personally now, how do you switch off Scott, the travel TV show co-producer and host brain? Like, how do you fully engage moment to moment in your own personal travels that aren't work related? Which I thought was an awesome question. Something that deleted. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And and if you ask my wife, the answer is I don't switch <laughs> off. That's the problem. Um, <laughs> and and I've noticed that about myself as well. Is that when I do travel personally, I look at the schedule through the eyes of a TV producer and then trying to maximize everything I can. So if it's a trip to Europe, it's like, well, hey, you know, we've got two weeks on the ground there. We're going to see this. You know what? We can shoot over and see this country and tick these boxes and go see this and, and cram it all in. And uh, and that might not always be what everyone wants to do, especially if they're looking at something they might call a vacation versus for me, it's just travel, right? It's never a vacation. It's always just travel. It's an opportunity. Uh, and so I have to... Uh, I have to remind myself of that every so often that, you know what, some days it's just about stopping at three different gelato places and, and not really getting much done. Yeah. Uh, so be it. <laughs> yeah. That's that's great. And I think one, and this is what I'm going to send to my friend, is actually a link to Into the Rising Sun because more so than maybe the other shows, I've found that that felt like I was seeing maybe more insight into just you. And mm. what you like to invest your time in when you're traveling and the, the types of adventures that you personally like to go on. And I can't envisage you acting any differently in those situations, whether you're working or not, because it was that authentic coming off the screen that, oh, this is exactly what he would be doing right now anyway. Traveling around to collect ingredients for a fish that might take you out. Hopefully the chef can cook it in the right way that that doesn't happen. All these things. It was just absolute magic. Do you think you could have made that show having not made the others? Like, do you think you could have approached it with such a relaxed presentation? Because you just seem so organic and relaxed in Into the Rising Sun. Thank you. No, yeah, I don't I don't think so. Um, I think it, it obviously comes from how I'm coming across there uh, is is calling on the experience learned from from the other productions for sure. It was a little bit it was a little bit scary for me to to go back in front of the camera on Into the Rising Sun, we had done a number of productions where I was back behind the camera again. Uh, so it had been, oh, about 
I think maybe seven or eight years between when I had finished with uh, with descending and got back in front of the camera again for Into the Rising Sun with several several other productions in between. So I did question a bit whether I still had it. Uh, and then, of course, because there was the the added challenge of this was going to be the first time that I was solo hosting and you didn't have a co-host to to lean upon. So I knew that there was some extra pressure on on me to to deliver it just by myself and and not with uh, with anyone else to lean on. But but you're right. I think what what then put my mind at ease was just arriving in Japan and just being there and being legitimately enthralled and happy and and swooped up in the adventure itself and letting Andre just capture it. Yeah. Um, and hopefully again, yeah, that is what, what came across. You kind of forget about everything else and just go with it. So yeah, it definitely felt like you were comfortable with the production because you've got this amazing cinematographer with you. It was a place that you care about deeply and you'd been to before, obviously, but it really felt like just a really great solo show to me. It felt like the perfect little encapsulation of you. So just one more Thank thing you. just before we start to finish up. I do have another listener question. Sure. One thing that I heard you talk about somewhere recently that I just thought was incredible, and it's a sign, it speaks to what this show is about, and that's facing creative blocks and or struggles that are big moments. If you get through them, your creative career can continue if you decide that it can't or you know, you're not prepared to fight to make it happen to get through it, that maybe you know, your career is going to go the other way. Can you tell us about the incident with the plane in Indonesia and what happened after that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we were filming uh, Descending uh, and we were in Raja Ampat, uh, which is uh, kind of in the Coral Triangle, a wonderful spot to dive and and very high on the list uh, of, of a lot of divers to, to go visit just because of how pristine it is in kind of West Papua, Indonesia, very remote um, and just a stunning area of the world to, to be and to go diving. We found ourselves uh, kind of headquartered there uh, for a portion of, of filming at a, at a small kind of eco lodge. And the owner of the Eco Lodge had a an experimental uh, aircraft that was on floats, like a Rotax-powered open cockpit airplane, fixed wing. And uh, and he took Andre up, offered uh, Andre uh, a ride to to get some some aerials. Keeping in mind, this is kind of before the the popular dawn of drones, so we didn't have just a drone to launch. To the opportunity to get aerial photography and cinematography um, was was magic. I mean, that was just something you did not pass the opportunity. Uh, so, of course, he went up, got some filming done, and with it being open cockpit as well, he had nothing in the way. He could, you know, have kind of free reign looking around and, and nothing to, to kind of encumber the, the lens. He, he was, you know, in seventh heaven. But we did notice that the the pilot was a little bit of a show-off, a bit of a hot dog, and kind of, you know, pulling a few you know, risky maneuvers, let's say. Uh, and we all kind of had a good laugh at that. And then he came in to land and, and said to Andre, you know, before you leave back to the mainland uh, tomorrow, if you want another flight, just let me know. I'm happy to do it. So Andre talked to me that evening and said, look, you're, you've always had this sort of passion for aviation and the interest in aviation. And a big part of that episode was was diving on some of the, the wrecks of World War II, which were, of course were airplanes. So as an airplane nut, I was, you know, in my uh, in my heaven. Uh, and he said, look, why don't we make this part of the show? You go up, have a flight um, and just kind of incorporate that as as kind of this moment of 
of Zen where you can kind of reflect on the diving you've done and, and what you've seen and all of that. And I said, yeah, it sounds great. You don't have to for, twist my arm to, <laughs> to go on an airplane. So we went up, uh, we were, uh, flying very low to the water and, uh, we went over a pod of dugongs like manatees. And, uh, and so because we were so low, we went over them very quickly and lost sight of them. And so he yanked back on the stick to gain altitude uh, I'm seated in the front of this tandem seat. So I'm seated in the front, which would normally be where the pilot uh, in command would sit. He's seated in the back with more limited instrumentation, but he's giving me the view. Okay, just to set the scene for you. Yeah, yeah. So he yanks back on the stick. We start climbing and gaining altitude, but of course losing airspeed at the same time. And when we get enough altitude to sort of see this pod of dugongs again, we both get an eye on them. We're like, hey, look, there they are right there on the on the starboard side. And so he banks over to the right. What I now know, being a pilot, of him bleeding all the airspeed off and banking into it like that is he stalled the inner wing and, and down came the airplane. And so we hadn't gained thousands of feet of, uh, of altitude at this point, but we had gained hundreds of feet of altitude. And so the plane kind of went up and then just went into a nosedive without any room or margin of error for him to be able to get enough airspeed back to recover the airplane. So as a result, we went straight and i mean straight into the ocean and i i was oblivious i actually thought until the last millisecond that we were pulling it was just showing and this was going to be something he was going to do one of these and, and pull out of and it was that last millisecond i remember going through my mind saying we're not going to make it and then boom we were in the water and uh and by whatever miraculous luck, I just reached here because you're kind of blind by the salt water and no mask and everything else and, and happened to pull the latch of the harness to release the harness, swam out of it and went to the surface. And, uh, and that was it. I mean, I was battered and bruised quite a bit, but uh, no broken bones and, and could have been a heck of a lot worse. So I used that as the catalyst uh, after I got home to finally start my pilot's license, which had been a lifelong dream for me to do. And so uh, within about 18 months of that accident, I had my pilot's license. Wow. That's some story, mate. <laughs> the The thing that stands out to me and why I was wanting Scott to tell that story is you could have went the other way and decided I'm not going to fly again or I'm I'm not comfortable flying. And obviously, a lot of what you do involves a lot of flying. And yeah. so you had a, an inflection point there where you could have went either way. You chose a much more positive way of dealing with that was, well, I've always wanted to be a pilot. I want to be more in control of situations and really understand what's going on. But yeah, was there ever a moment during that period before you started doing your pilot's license where you had a moment of, oh, gee, am I going to be able to fly again? Like, how do I feel about this? Honestly, no. There, and, and I didn't even have time to, to, to think about that decision anyway. We bobbed around in the ocean for about 45 minutes until we got rescued. And then as soon as they did, they got us back to the eco lodge and threw whatever, blew the dust off whatever first aid kit they had <laughs> and, uh, and said, okay, right, we need to get you on this boat and back to the international airport so you can <laughs> get on a commercial flight and, and get uh -huh. out of here sort of thing. It was sort of a all hands on deck scramble at that point. I didn't even have time to think about it. But truthfully, it wasn't a, a bravado thing or, or, or anything like that. It was, that was just something that my brain just never went that way. That was never an option. And and, uh, and I, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't kind of have the, and maybe a big part of that is that I never had the, the terror moment of, 
you know, if we had been at 20,000 feet and the engines blew up and I had all that time to know that their imminent death faced me and blah, 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 then maybe (laughs) I would have been programmed and rewired a very different way. But in this instance, I had this blind utmost confidence in the pilot in charge. And it wasn't until we just sort of hit the water that I realized there's something wrong. So I never had a terror moment until I was sort of back floating around on a broken pontoon in the ocean thinking, huh, that could have gone a lot worse. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that could have definitely. And we're happy it didn't. So one last question that I did get asked, but it was also something that I'd already kind of formed a question around. And this is something you don't, obviously, there's probably certain things you can't say about this, but your show is the only non-scripted, non-sci-fi or fantasy show that I can think of that has such a rabid fan base that just continues to grow and is still screaming for a season four. So two things. How does that make you feel to know that you're getting the kind of long-term, I won't say cult love but it is it feels like what a cult show does like when people want firefly to come back or some sci-fi or fantasy show where they live it and breathe it it's the only travel show certainly that i can think of that people act like that and they post about it and they want to know when season four is coming so how does that make you feel and what's the reality of making something like that happen again whether it's happening or not you don't have to say, but how does season four theoretically of departures come to be? How does it make me feel? Uh, and incredibly proud and incredibly appreciative to, to yeah, very vocal, um, you know, not this massive fan base, but the fan base that's there has always been so supportive and so vocal of, of what we've done from day one. Um, incredibly appreciative of, of that. And it blows my mind that, yeah, we're, we're 10 plus years on from that project and, People are still hungry for for more, and it hasn't fallen on deaf ears. Uh, I know sometimes through social media, uh, I don't always get back to every single person who asks uh, openly about when there is going to be a season four and if there will and all of that. The, the message is always the same is that, yes, we are open to it. It's not something that, you know, because we don't talk anymore, that could never happen or there's bad blood or or that Andre and I have sworn off ever doing it again or anything <laughs> like that. It's just that, you know, there's there's always been some sort of new creative outlet. There's always been some new idea. Uh, there's always been something that's just sort of fallen in our lap uh, in front of that. And so it's not that we've avoided it or anything else. It's that we we really we really do want to do that. It's just more a matter of finding a network that that is a good fit. For a long time, you know, there there wasn't anyone there <laughs> um, or, or 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 seemingly listening to to that idea. Yeah, so it, it it's not a matter of you know, that we don't want to do it. It's just, uh, it's been finding the, trying to find the right partner uh, network for, you know, we've, we've barked up that tree a few times with a few different networks and and partners to see if it was a go. And uh, it doesn't seem to be, we've flirted with the idea of just trying to, uh, to do kind of a, a fan fund and, uh, and do we kind of revisit it as, as a, a big grand send off. Those are all options. So everything's on the table with it. And, uh, and no, the project is, is not uh, not a dead project by any means. 
it's it's maybe one that's just been on hiatus is the, the way we like to say until the right opportunity comes forward and we'll, we will certainly be putting and always have put a lot of pressure on ourselves that if we do revisit somewhat of a, a legacy project for from from our standpoint that it has to be bigger and better than than it was the last thing we want to do is to try to breathe life into a legacy project that we're so incredibly proud of and then one that so many people love and have have a, a strong relationship with and not give it justice, whether that's because of time, time budget, money budget, um, whatever it is, we want to make sure that we raise the bar and that uh, when when the time comes, that it gets the attention uh, it deserves. And you guys have, I guess, a responsibility to people, particularly over the last few years. There's a lot of people like me that we're using it as a way to travel in their minds to other places yeah. that they couldn't actually get to. And it was almost like comfort viewing. So, yeah. if anything, now and moving forward, there's an increased responsibility for it to be either great or not happen. <laughs> I guess you don't really have an option for it to be okay. So, <laughs> hey, you know, for for the better part of between five and ten years now, I would say, from our experience, the uh, the TV networks have really kind of been a hard pass on anything travel related and the only thing the only way around that was well we'll do a travel show as long as you tie someone really famous to it and you know if it's like ryan reynolds travels the world or something like that um and and i get that i mean hey i would watch that show but but at the same time again i think that there's there was a big appeal with with normal nobodies like us doing that travel because of again the authenticity that came along with it uh, and the struggles that were very real that came along with it. And so my hope is is that now uh, in a kind of post-COVID world, if we can use that term, that there is a real hunger for travel again and that the TV networks will will see and appreciate that and uh, and want to go after it for uh, for authentic content once again. And we can, whether it's departure season four, whether it's a continuation or or new ideas that we have ready to go as well, uh, we certainly hope that they'll they'll take it up. We all do as well as fans of yours and Andre and hopefully Justin's involved too at some point. So just to finish up, if someone like me that's a big fan of the work that you guys do and I'm recommending an episode to someone that hasn't seen the show, there's two ways to look at it. What's the episode you guys still get the most people contacting you about and or what's the one that you think I should be saying if you've only got half an hour or an hour of your time to invest in these guys, this is the one. Which one do you feel it is and which one do fans tell you it is? Well, one of the episodes that continually seems to be a fan favorite and and is a favorite of ours as well, you know, and and all cards on the table, I don't think there's an episode of the three seasons, speaking of departures anyway, that that we really are like, oh God, why did we, you know, there, there's no episode of, of uh, of that series that we really turn our nose up at, but one that continually gets a lot of uh, of really positive feedback is the Jordan episode in in season one. I think it just it really surprised a lot of people uh, of what was there, how much was there to see, and again the the experience that we got while we were there. Um, we were still very fresh at that point in both the the TV world as well as the the travel international travel world. So. I think there's a lot that came across in that episode that that would really encapsulate what the series is about. For us as well, I know that we're we're really proud of uh, of a few of the episodes in in season three where we found that we were really getting to a certain stride moment. Um, not the least of which the the North Korea episodes, because of of mm-hmm. course 
uh, how rare getting that glimpse of of inside North Korea is, and and just how how genuine we felt that that our again our our very limited but special time there was. So that that would be some other episodes that I would I would recommend people have a look at as well. Yeah, those are great. They're among some of my favourites, and I like I, I really just like all of them. And obviously, Into the Rising Sun I think is just. I guess because I've always also had a thing of, in my mind about Japan. It was always going to be the first place that I would go when I had enough time and resources to actually go to travel all of the places in Japan that I wanted to go. So, guys, check out Departures if you haven't seen it. I'm not sure where it is in Australia at the moment. I've found some of it on YouTube, unfortunately, lately. I don't think it's on Amazon at the moment. And I tried to buy it the other day on iTunes, on Apple, and I couldn't. I could only buy the first season. I'm not sure why that is either, but it's on Amazon Prime in a lot of places, isn't it? Still, I think, and is it Ovation in North America? Yeah, yeah. So Amazon Prime, um, we're working. Uh, not to bore you with details, but we're um, there's a distribution issue on the background, um, so we're working very quickly to try to reconnect all of that. Uh, so it will be coming back to Amazon Prime in in most English speaking territories. We're working uh, both uh, Australia, New Zealand are a little bit more finicky uh, with trying to really prioritize, rightfully so, Australian content first. So for us to kind of uh, convince them that our stuff is worthy of being on there as well, uh, it just takes a little bit more time and convincing, but it is coming. Uh, It is coming back. Uh, So yeah, bear with us. Uh, We're also looking at kind of reinvigorating our YouTube channel and putting all of the full episodes back on there as well. So uh, that could be coming within the next uh, month or so. So yeah, there's there's always new homes. And it's hard for us to, to keep up with it, uh, but we're, we're always trying, that's for sure. Excellent. So just let the networks in Australia know you finished the series with Australia and let the guys in New Zealand know that those two episodes are probably the most fun two episodes of travel TV that's ever been made. Those two in New Zealand were just extraordinary. <laughs> hundred percent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that, that Australian content is right there. You just have to go all the way to the end yeah, of the series. You got to watch it all first <laughs> as they should be doing anyway. So Scott Wilson, it's at Scott underscore departures on Instagram. I'll link up where all the shows are and I'll change that over time as they become available on different networks in the show notes, guys. Well, thank you, man. I mean, I knew you were going to be an awesome dude, but you're an absolute champ. You've gone beyond the level of awesomeness that I was expecting. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks, Josh, for having me on. I appreciate it. Cheers.